Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, Elizabeth, and today's guest is Nassim Sayani. She's the co-founder and managing director of Emmeline Ventures. And what this is, is a fund that deliberately focuses on unlocking new capital for women founders and bringing more women to the table as VC check writers. Nassim is somebody that I've known for a few years, and she's always been like one of the smartest women um, in the room, right? She's somebody who just knows a lot about a lot of stuff, but specifically economics and finance and VCs and funds. And I wanted to have her on because I think it's really important that women take a look not only at like where we are financially and our current assets, but what are we doing to plan for the future? And where is our very powerful capital and money going? And it's great because in this episode, she talks about you know how a lot of it is going maybe to organizations that we don't have aligned values with. And so I thought it was awesome for Nassim to really break it down, to really help us understand like, how can we get involved? Should we be investing in funds? Should we have some knowledge of what venture capital is and how we can be involved? And what's the lowest amount that we can write to be, um, you know, to get a piece and get some skin in the game in some of these female founded organizations. Emily Ventures, her fund, actually has 20 companies in its portfolio. And some of them you might know, Luna Joy, She Matters, Womanness, and The Beans. So there are some really fast growing organizations and you might wanna get a ticket on one of these rocket ships, right? Park your money in some of them and see the big return on investment that you could get when you invest in women and female founders. So I had a great chat with Nassim. I feel like she made it. She kind of like spoon fed it for us. What do we have to do? Is this scarier than putting your money in the stock market? Is it better to put your money in real estate? And please know that this is not, you know, um, certified financial advice. This is just us having a chat. But if it's me and my money, I will bet on moms and women all day long. So this could be your sign to jump in, ladies. If you've been on the fence, hear what Nassim has to say. Check out some of the resources in the show notes, some of the links there, and decide for yourself. Maybe it's time for you to get into the world of VC and start writing some checks. Nassim, this is a long time coming, having this conversation. I have been privileged to be able to kind of get a behind-the-scenes view of investing and why it's so important to invest in women founders. So I'm excited to have this chat today. I'd love to just kind of give people an intro to investing and a little bit about what you're doing with Emmeline Ventures. So why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory on how you got to this place? We don't have to go like super, super far back, but I do feel like there was a journey for you to get here and start your own fund. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks first for having me exciting and I'm always telling this story. So it's always fun to do. So I came to the world I'm in right now and investing by way of a a few stops. So I grew up in management consulting. I was in digital strategy and innovation since 2007. So I like to say I've been doing digital strategy work since before we had iPhones because that came out that year. And uh, believe it or not, there was digital strategy work to be done prior to iPhones. Uh, but it become it became much more specific once this one to one engagement model was in place in our hands. And so I lived I was living in New York. I was doing work with media companies and consumer companies who were on the front lines of really figuring out that engagement model. Uh, then I then from there became part of a team that actually launched an agency inside of the consulting firm. Because as much as digital, digital strategy was hard to figure out, uh, the execution, building products, thinking about prototypes, really testing for resonance was something even harder to do because it's not, these are not words that our clients understood at the time. 
So we launched an agency to help them build product and turn things on. That marketing agency, effectively our prototyping business, turned into a full-on incubator when we then moved to a Boston Consulting Group and became the digital ventures team. So now we were launching startups from zero to one. We were doing the ideation, the prototyping, the testing, the launching, hiring teams and, and raising funding. And so I went from thinking about strategy and engagement on paper to then testing it with simple prototypes to then actually building the business that got launched in market and still operates today. So I've been on all different sides of it. The really interesting and unfortunate part, which won't be a surprise, is that in those worlds, in consulting, in marketing, in venture, there's no diversity. There's no, there's not enough women. There's not enough people of color. There's not enough women who are people of color. So you have all these intersections of insight, of perspective, of needs that just weren't getting represented. So we were building great businesses, but none of them had anything to do with health equity. None of them had anything to do with wealth equity. None of them had anything to do with things that mattered to me and the people that I spent my time with. Uh, So it became a bit of a very tangibly, I woke up one morning and said, this isn't working for me anymore. There's an time for impact lever that isn't working out for me. I'm going to have to redirect these skills a different way. Started angel investing and started getting plugged in with the female founder ecosystem here in Los Angeles and a few other places. And, And it very serendipitously, again, turned into gosh, I can do this bigger. And I met my two co-founders for Emmeline Ventures by way of the angel investing we were each doing. We teamed up very quickly, very common ethos, desire for impact, desire for financial gains while doing good. And we started investing together. We launched a pilot fund, tested out a thesis that we wanted to run after, made sure we could find deal flow and conduct diligence in good ways. And then we launched our full fund one about a year and a half ago. And we're now running a venture capital fund. Raising 25 million, we in total have 22 companies in the portfolio. It's incredible. They were investing across women's health, financial services, and climate, all with a lens on products and services that are helping women live and thrive. And that's what we're after. It's so amazing. And you guys, I have known Nassim now for over three years. We actually met in chief and she's just one of the smartest women I've ever met. I mean, there's nobody who has their shit more together than Nassim. And I feel like (laughs) (laughs) you, I mean, no, seriously. And let's, let's talk about, I mean, you're a mom, you're a mom to a toddler. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of this asterisk, right? Of like all the guests on the show is these are women doing incredible things. I mean, I feel like this is world changing shit here. And you're doing it while being a mother, which like is no joke. I mean, that is another full-time job that are the is the full-time job of a lot of women. And so I just feel like it's important to call that out because the hours that are put in and the sacrifice, I think only you can really understand and like understand what some of your founders are going through, right? Because it really is. It's like another child. Anybody who has a business or maybe is self-employed right now, but hoping to turn it into a business. I think that you have to be both feet in. And so I wonder if the idea that, okay, I'm going to have to really like double down on this fund, right? With your partners, if you want to make it work, if there was ever this twinge of like, I don't know, that might be too big of a sacrifice, or I know what that's going to entail and kind of felt the pull of being a mom as well. Like, well, is that going to take me too far away from my kid and being available for them? You know, it's a good question. It's also relative, right? And so my consulting life, I was on the road four days a week for almost 15 years, Monday to Thursday. And I was diamond status on Delta. I had incredible points at hotels, but I was on the road four days a week. And so that is the heaviest experience of travel that I've had. 
and it didn't wasn't wrapped in the impact and the outcomes that I'm doing now. Um, it was good work. It was smart work. It's the reason I can do all the things I do right now. And currently, I'm on the road a two or three days every other week. I don't have the status anymore. All of that has fallen okay. off. Okay, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a weird transition because yeah. I've gone from like the automatic first class to now like row twenty-seven. But it's okay. Um, but that bit of travel is fine because it's nowhere near what I used to do. And I think that it's just, I'm in a different headspace with that. Yeah. And so it's totally, it's fine. The thing that we do, I mean, it's the logistics game that's never ending. And so if there's a week that he's, I have a four, year, four and a half year old little boy, if he's off from school for a week, like spring break or something, and that's the same week I need to travel, we, my husband and I really have to plan logistics and figure out coverage and things like that. Because if he's not going to school every day, we have to have someone at home. And, you know, and so that it just becomes this game of Tetris. Uh, and that's definitely adds a layer of logistics that I don't think either of us fully understood until we had to do it because, and you have kids as well. Like before yeah. you could just up and go and you grab a bag and you get in the car or on a plane and it's no big deal. Now you spend 10 days planning and five hours getting in the car before you can do anything. Right. Uh, and so it's complex. But the the really great upside of it is that the baseline my four and a half year old little boy is growing up with is completely different than the baseline like that my father grew up with. And so he's hearing me talk about women's health all the time. He's seeing my partner and I share the house in a way that I never saw my parents share the house. And so he's, I'm very convinced and I've said this to a couple of people, like he's going to walk into preschool and he's going to say vulva and they're going to call yeah. me. you like, great, Mrs. Annie, this is what he said today. <laughs> and I'll be like, Yes, that's wonderful. I work in women's health. I'm glad he's listening. But it's that's, not a bad word and it's not a not shameful a word. word. And neither is Dana's. And I mean, right, like I'm all for like calling it like Just my daughters. Body. Yeah, we look. I'm like, look in the mirror. Like, look, yeah. I'll, I'll point out every single yeah. one of these and name them their proper names because I think that that's a wonderful gift. And I feel like mothers of sons are really going to be the ones tasked with these future generations, right? Like what is that? masculinity going to look like. I think it mm -hmm. can be an outspoken feminist, right? And no doubt yeah. your son will be a feminist and it can be this whole, I feel like those are the revolutionary things. But let's get back to the fun because those are very revolutionary too. And what do you say to people who might be listening and they're like, yeah, investing sounds great. It sounds scary. Maybe I'll let my financial advisor just put a little yeah. bit here and there. But as far as like me really seeking out opportunities and getting involved, number one, times are tight. I just don't have the disposable income, if you will, to do that. What would be some reasons? We chatted just for a second before we hopped on. I'm like, why that might actually be the perfect time to yeah. dive in and why it's so important that women are investing in oh, yeah. women's founded this companies. Is, this is my silk box that I walk around with. Get so on it. There's three things. One is venture capital is an asset class that most women don't know about, haven't been close to, haven't found the door, aren't in the same rooms. Like it's just, it's one of the smallest out asset classes relative to private equity, hedge funds, uh, public markets. It's very small in terms of total dollars, but the influence it has on the things that we use every day is enormous. Google, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Tinder, Tesla's like these were all venture backed companies and we know them well. We use them every day. Not only that, they've taught us behaviors. 
that we've taken on without really thinking about the behavior we've taken on. We will sit in someone's car to go from point A to B who we don't know, and we're very comfortable doing it. We will rent a room in someone's home or rent their entire house who we don't know, and we don't think twice about doing it anymore. We have to watch a TV series all in the same evening. Otherwise, we're like heartbroken that we can't binge it. We didn't used to be that way, right? And then we, we can't get my package in 24 to 48 hours. I'm distraught because what in the world are you talking about? These are behaviors that we've taken on by way of venture-backed companies that are in our daily life. That's one big reason women need to get involved in this asset class because if you look at who's been investing in venture, it's 85% white men from Harvard and Stanford. No joke. I can send the data. It exists. That's who has been driving these decisions for the last 30 to 40 years. So when we then on the other side say only 2% of venture capital funding is going to female founders, it's not surprising because look who's writing the checks. They don't have the same lived experience as you and I have. So if a female founder who is specifically in the women's health walks in and says pelvic floor or vulva, those faces gloss over. I don't yeah. know that. Let me ask my partner. Let me ask the assistant. Let me go see if the woman making coffee knows what that is. Literally the stories we've heard from founders. And so until we have more women, one, in the check writing seats of VCs, and two, putting money into the VC funds, we're not going to see the other side of the flywheel shift, right? Because it's pattern recognition is a thing. Tribalism is a thing. It's not bad. It's human nature. But we don't have the women and the people of color in the tribe that's writing the checks. And that that's a lot of what Emmeline is after, is increasing the diversity across who's writing the checks. That's point number one, is VC matters and women need to learn Point number two is that women's health uh, is a is in kind of a lightning rod moment right now. Um, because if you go into a little bit of history, women were excluded from clinical trials for about two decades prior to 1993. That means that there's a whole swath of research that one, doesn't include women or people of color, and two, was never conducted because women's health has never been a priority. And so now suddenly we have a a whole like roster of startups who are looking at menopause, who are thinking about ovarian health, who are thinking about menstruation, who are thinking about maternal care, and they're building data sets that don't exist right now. And it's a cross-section of women from different incomes, different races and backgrounds, you know, different lived experiences, and that data doesn't exist. And so if we're going to change the world and really make it more equitable from a healthcare services standpoint, we have to fund the companies that are creating the data sets. Otherwise, we're never going to get there. You can't put AI on top of existing healthcare data because it doesn't include women and it doesn't include people of color. The best example of this is Ambien, which when Ambien, the sleep supplement, first hit the market, everyone was taking it. Women in particular were taking it. And they would go to sleep fine, wake up in the morning, get ready, go to work. And they were falling asleep behind the wheel on the way to work. Yeah. Numerous occasions and then crashing or worst. And so finally, there was some research. So why is why is it only women? It's not happening to men. They figured out that we metabolize the active ingredient in amium at a totally different rate than men. But it was never tested on women. So we didn't know. And it hit the market. No big deal. So those are the things we can solve right now if there's more women funding the businesses that are in women's health in particular. The third is uh, wealth. Because there's $30 trillion of wealth headed towards women in the next 10 years. This is boomers handing down their estates, et cetera. And a lot of women, because we haven't been thinking about finances the same way as our male counterparts, because we haven't been in the room, haven't been conditioned, have actually been oppositely conditioned to think that we're not good at math and et cetera, et cetera. 
we, we don't know enough about how to manage those portfolios. And we need to understand and think about what we're going to do with that wealth when we have it. Because it's a completely different profile that can move capital around than who's historically been moving capital around. And so if you have wealth coming to you, learning about venture, angel investing, understanding the startup ecosystem is critical to your portfolio because the kind of impact you can have is significant. Wow. I mean, I think that that's really resonates because I think that there are a lot of women who maybe get an end of the year bonus or maybe a grandparent dies and they leave them 20 grand, 30 grand. And I don't know that we're consciously investing that. It probably just goes into savings or it's like a rainy day or maybe I'll redo something on my house or something like I'm kind of guilty of that. Like, oh, we have some extra money. Let's invest in our house, you know, or for me, it's a little different because I have my own, I'm self-employed. I have my own business. So I'll invest back into my business. But I think if you don't have one of those things, like maybe you're renting or maybe you're this or that, like, why does it make more sense to invest versus save? Because I think it's the risk that gets people they think it's kind of like gambling. And I really don't feel like it is because I think you have to trust the fund to kind of like do all of that vetting for you. But what makes it less risky for us to seem like? Are there things that we can do to feel more comfortable? Yeah, so it's it's the diversification of a full portfolio is is what to think about, right? You don't, you would never take your whole bonus, well, you might, and put it all into buying a house. But that is something people do, right? And you rely on that asset holding value. But in every economic cycle, real estate values go down and then they come back up again. And yet people will very quickly put money into real estate because it's this proven asset class. People will put their 401ks into public markets and still watch that go up and down with stock moves and with economic cycles. But there's a comfort with it because we can see it and we've always seen it. Venture is different because we haven't seen it. We haven't always watched it. But when you think about where the biggest pockets of wealth generation have happened, it's been in venture and private equity. And the barrier to women getting involved in those has been one, access and knowledge. And two has been check sizes. Because typically venture and private equity require 250K, 500K entry point check sizes, which is largely inaccessible. If you don't come from generational wealth, you can't write that kind of check. What's happening now, what our fund is doing as well, is actually those entry point check sizes have flexed so that our entry point check size is 100K. And the other detail, and this is a knowledge point that we share with everybody, is that it's not all due at once. Only 25% is called upon signing. That's where our fund is. Other funds might be at different levels. And the rest is called over the next three to four years. So you're not out 100K out of the gate, right? The last point is that, well, there's two more. The second to last one is if you're willing, there's a lot of women who are very, very willing. It's a skill set we have to put money into philanthropy. We're almost trained and conditioned to give away our money to all first causes that do good. Great. I love that. However, if you can put a hundred in a philanthropy, you're also giving it away. It's high risk. You don't know how it's spent. You have no outcomes you can track necessarily. You can take the same 100K, put it into venture, help a company grow that's after the same outcomes, whether it's women or girls or health or et cetera. And when there's an exit, you get returns, you can recycle back into that process. It's not out and you're done. You actually can get benefits from it that give you more capital to play with. And so it's thinking about how that's all going to connect for you is important. The fourth is that a lot of women, to your example, get a bonus or something, will give that capital to their partners and trust their partners to manage it. Oh, don't. No, ladies. 
It happens a lot. And it's not because it's not, it's, it's because we're conditioned Ugh. to think we're not good with money. Like if you, there's, again, there's always data. Uh, 75 to 80% of the marketing out in the world that's about money towards women tells us that we're spendthrifts, that we're bad at money, that we shouldn't buy the latte, that we should save, we should not be risky. We should be very, very careful because we have clothes to buy and food to buy. Right. 75, 80, 90% of the marketing about money that's in the world that's directed towards men is about risk and portfolio building and growth and building wealth. Uh, and it's, it's in the language that's around us. So there's so much we have to unlearn to then think about getting involved in something like venture. Learn to take risk. Don't be scared. You can start with small checks, ten, five, ten thousand dollars can do it, especially if you're coming to a fund like ours and you want to start small. We have some people at 50K. That yeah. first check you give us is $12,000. I mean, that sounds pretty good. Like, right. And I, yeah. I was just going to say, what if somebody doesn't have 25K right now and they feel like, well, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Maybe I can't do the full 100. Can I do 15 now or 20 now? And then that be it. And if I want to add more later, I can't. Yes. Is that a possibility? That is a possibility depending on the fund. So it okay. just depends on how they're raising. We had, we absolutely had spots for 25K checks for the first probably eight yeah. months, but we can, we can only have so many investors in yeah. the fund. And so we're capped at a certain number that every fund, this is true. So our, our 25K spots are full, but you can come in at 50K and you're again, it's, it's a smaller chunk up front and you're spreading it out. You have three years to, to work out the other 40K. Yeah. So. It just it. gives you a way to plan capital that doesn't just because you're signing up for a 50K commitment doesn't mean you're giving us a 50K check out of the gate. You've got, you've got time. And I don't think it's any more risky than giving it to your financial advisor, right, Nassim? No. no, no, it's not. It's not. Everyone should talk to their financial advisor. Everyone should make sure they feel comfortable. Yeah. Venture is risky, but it's high risk, high reward. The detail to keep in mind is that when you're investing in a fund, it's not likely that the fund is going to go to zero. A single angel investment could go to zero. If you have 10 individual angel investments, those could all go to zero. You could lose all of that money. But when you're investing in a fund, because you have the expertise of the general partners, they're building across a portfolio, you know, they're not likely to go to zero. So you're immediately diversified just by way of what the fund investment process is. So you can yeah. take that same 20 or 30K that you would have put into three, put it into one fund, and you're likely to get some level of return probably seven, eight, nine years out, which is not that different than what public markets yeah. might, at least in a downturn. The other detail is that there's a lot of caution around putting money to work when the markets are down or when the economy is rough. Everything's cheaper right now. The valuation- right. Run lower. towards it, ladies, run. The stocks are down. Like this yeah. is the best time to put money to work, especially into a long-term hold, because if we are going to see the exits at year six, seven, eight, the market's going to be on the upside by then. Right. You're going to get yep. the premium on the other end of it. So don't let the the logic gets turned around because you're like, oh, the market's down. I should hold on to it. Actually, the market's down. You should deploy some of it yep. because then you, that's how you build wealth and you get the outcomes on the other side. And I think, too, like I've even heard people say, well, just dump it into Apple or Google stock or something like but it's to the But it's to the point of what you said in the beginning. Like, do we want a bunch of bros making these decisions for us. Like, I fucking yeah. don't. I do not. We, everybody yeah. talks about, you know, our phones are going to be the end of us and all this stuff. Okay, so then I'm going to go buy Apple stock. Like, it just doesn't feel like it's in spiritual alignment with what yeah. I want. And I do feel like money is an energy. 
I just, I just had a, a group coaching call this morning. We were talking about money and I said, you know, one was, was like, I'm doing this thing with my husband where we've had this imaginary thing of like, if we had $500,000 in capital, mm-hmm. what would we do with it? And I said, but you probably do like legit. This woman does. And I said, okay, but you do. And she's like, but I don't, I'm scared to lose it. And I go, it's like you have a brand new Porsche in your garage and you don't want to drive it because you're scared it's you're going right. to wreck it or it's going to get a ticket. Like, ladies, let the Porsche out of the fucking garage. Like the money yeah. work for you if you're just holding on right. to it in your bank account. Like you have to circulate it and, yeah. and trust you have the to, fund. And think about the influence you can have. One of my favorite examples, right, is and a lot of your listeners may have Teslas and be out there yeah. driving if any of them, any of the women get their nails done on any kind of regular occasion, you actually can't open the door of your Tesla when your nails are done because no. you could pop the nail. And so, and I've talked about a founder in our portfolio says this all the time. She's like, I have to use my knuckle to open the door because otherwise I will ruin the paint or I'll pop the nail. Now that's not because there's a problem with me or you or us getting our nails done. Right. That's because there were no women funding that company are in the room when that door handle was designed. That's a huge problem. And there is, if you look around, there's examples of that everywhere. And yeah. if you put that money to work, you could actually have some influence on fixing those. You know what was the deciding factor for me not to get Tesla? This was before Elon went fucking cray. But the headrests are kind of tilted oh, up. Yes. If you're wearing a ponytail or a top yeah, you knot, you, you cannot sit back on a Tesla. And I told my husband, I said, he just kept saying like, okay, but this really, we're going to not do it. I go, no, we're going to not buy it over this. Because in my mind, Nassim, I was like, there's no way a woman, a messy bun mom was doing drop off in this fucking car because I can't, I can't relax my head. Yeah. And it was, it was just like this thing. And it's like the cup holder or whatever too. It's like, oh yeah, you can't design it for everybody or a variation of cups. I don't mess with you. I'm not buying your car. Like it's so little. But There's also no uh, lock button. You can't lock the car from inside the car quickly. So if the car's not on, you actually can't lock it quickly. So for women in God. particular, yeah, if something's happening or you're having to like, I don't know, it doesn't happen. Yeah, off, you're feeling in, weird. Yeah, you can't lock the car from inside no the way. car once it's turned off. All right. Well, there you go, ladies. <laughs> but I think, you know, one thing that was eye-opening for me was I used to yeah. work for a skincare company that had a Femhigh line as well. And it was so funny because I was sitting with the CVS buyer of all Femhigh, right, in, in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And it is a group of four old white men. And I felt almost weird talking about vulva and like, oh, we'll use this wash and actually conditions the hair down there and all this stuff. It was yeah. like weird talking to men about this, but these were the buyers of Tampa. I mean, these are the buyers. And I'm like, there's something so wrong about this. And like oh, the yeah. head of Kimberly Clark's a man, you know, with like all yeah. of And I was just like, this feels so backwards. And we really do have to start looking at where we're spending and the oh, buying yeah. power that we have and actually like maybe understand who is at the helm here, who are the founders. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And 80 to 85 percent of households spent is sitting in women's hands. And it's not small things. It's healthcare, it's financial services, it's cars, it's houses. And yeah. 90, 95 percent of what we interact with wasn't actually designed with use cases about women in mind. Yeah. And so we're not we're like we're not spending as much as we could be spending because the things in the world that we could buy don't speak to us. What if we did yeah. that? What if we designed? I mean, can you imagine? Both to us. You're opening up trillions of dollars in economic value if we can do that. 
I mean, if we just take this past summer as, you know, a case study here with Beyonce and Taylor and the Barbie movie, like, hello, we have a lot. I don't think guys were pushing the the purchasing there, right? Maybe some, but not, not the majority. And I just feel like it's on us to be a little bit more responsible, right? If money is an energy, like where are we circulating it? Like where are we sending? Can we really spend it and feel really good about it? Are we gritting our teeth that we have to turn money over to this big corporation that we really aren't in, our values aren't aligned with? So Nassim, where does somebody start? Obviously, you know, um, your fund is linked in the show notes, but maybe people have like 5,000 or something like that. Are they out of the game until they save up enough money to be able to participate? Or where are some other like outlets or resources that women can go to to try to find maybe smaller scale investment opportunities. There's some some really great angel investing opportunities that women can find. There's a number of networks out there that are purely about getting women in the habit of writing five or 10K checks to angel invest. Stella Angels in San Diego, she's independent, she raises capital. There's a a few really great angel networks uh, that women can go to to see opportunities, to learn, to be part of education sessions around investing. As a fund, we do a lot of that as well. We're doing like every other month, we do like a Friday investing chat uh, that people are absolutely welcome to join. Uh, and so reaching out to me is a great option as well because we are, we're constantly educating. So the more women I can talk to about this and that we can talk to about this, the better. Those resources are out there. Uh, and finding, and this is the other thing about women is that we do things in community. So you don't have to feel like you're doing it by yourself. There are communities of women learning about venture together and you ask the questions together and you sit next to each other and share notes and you go, what does capital call mean? Oh, wait, that's what she said. Okay, great. And you don't have to feel like you're learning it on your own. And so flex the superpower and find the community because that's going to accelerate all of your knowledge on getting involved with this. This is tremendous. This is tremendous information. And I feel like you're one of the most generous women out there with, you know, being an open educator to other women on how to invest, how for it not to feel so scary. So I really thank you for your very valuable time today, Nassim. Everything will be linked below. Maybe we can also include some links to some of those that you mentioned in a way that they can directly get in touch with your fund and you specifically. But this could be a great thing. I mean, I think a lot of people have book clubs and this and that. You should absolutely explore doing a women's investment club. Investing club. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Put your money, pull your money together and and get in. And I think yeah. this ultimately leads to a power dynamic shift. It in, leads to financial freedom. And I really don't know. I don't want to like demonize men here, but I think they're betting on us not going into this lane and it just being a little too scary or a little bit too, well, maybe I'll just let my husband or financial advisor do that or my partner. Maybe, you know, I'll just keep investing in real estate or flipping a house. Like that's the other thing too. It's like, Yeah. Investing in your house. Dude, you could totally lose that. Like people are dumping money into their home and you're not getting it out. And I'm like, nothing is guaranteed here. So it isn't it isn't always just like a rock solid investment to just put that into property. All these D bags out here talking about real estate, this and that. I'm like, from what I've learned, like it's not not always bulletproof. No, no, no. Like I would trust somebody like you or women who love this enough to sacrifice time in their personal lives to empower other women and to bring women into the fold. So thank you so much for your insights. Everybody check out the show notes and the links below. Thanks so much, Nassim. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. 